So it was January 28th, 1986. It was a bright, cold day as seven people boarded the Space Shuttle Challenger. Six of those aboard were career astronauts. The seventh was a school teacher. And as many of you know the story already, the shuttle was launched and shortly thereafter exploded in the air. Steve Nesbitt at the Johnson Space Center had the job of uh, of interpreting what the viewers were watching as the shuttle burst into flames. And all he could say were the words, obviously a major malfunction. This was a major malfunction indeed, but as the events of that day have been investigated, it is a malfunction that sadly could have been prevented with only one phone call. That very morning, there was a meeting taking place in a factory in Utah. This was the very factory that had built the rocket boosters for the Challenger. And those present in the meeting that day knew that the cold weather that day was not suitable to be launching in. However, despite the fact that every engineer present in that meeting recommended to their bosses that a phone call be placed and the launch be rescheduled, because of the pressures put up, placed upon them by NASA, no such phone call was made. Instead, the go-ahead was given. And the result of that day was certainly one of the greatest tragedies in our country's history, a tragedy that didn't have to happen now, admittedly, the start of this message is not one of cheer. The memory definitely brings feelings of great sorrow into our hearts as we are reminded of the lives that were senselessly lost that day. But there is a greater tragedy that, that doesn't just plague the United States. It's a tragedy that has plagued mankind around the world and throughout history. It is the tragedy of unbelief. And if I could, without lessening the significance of the previous mentioned tragedy or any other tragedy that we may have faced in this lifetime, let me propose that the tragedy of unbelief, the tragedy of mankind's unwillingness to see Jesus as their Savior, the tragedy of, of dying apart from salvation in Jesus Christ and spending an eternity separated from God in hell is the world's greatest tragedy. But although, although this tragedy is great, it is a tragedy that for you can be prevented. So we're in a series right now walking through the book of John. And already we've made it through a, a little more than half of the book of John. And, and the first half of the book of John has just been packed full of greatness. We have seen God become flesh in Jesus Christ. We have seen Jesus preach and heal. We've seen him perform miracles like turning water into wine and feeding the 5,000. A few weeks ago, we saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And last week, we saw Jesus enter into Jerusalem on a donkey, ultimately to be the great Passover lamb. But... While we're able to look at Scripture and we're able to see so clearly that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh and the Savior for all of mankind, in our passage today we will see that, that many, despite all, all that Jesus has done, many 
will tragically reject Jesus in their unbelief. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 37 through 50. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Now, as you're turning there, let me point you back to our discussion from last week, because last week, we, we, as we examined both Jesus' actions and his words, we were able to see how Jesus lived up to his name, Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, God rescues. Jesus clearly revealed himself to be God in the flesh and the Messiah for all of mankind. Unfortunately, as we look at the first half of our passage today, we will see that not everyone could see what we see so clearly today. Now, in the second half of our passage, once again, we're going to see Jesus speak. And the words that we read here in this passage are Jesus' last words spoken to the crowds. Everything else that we see Jesus say in the rest of the book is spoken to the disciples or to smaller groups of people or to the Father directly. So let's read John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. It says, Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said... He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God." Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So as we look at this passage this morning, and especially as we look at the first few verses, we have to admit that John says some difficult things for us, some things that at first glance may seem a little unclear to us. So when I was growing up, we had well water at our house, and I can remember we went on vacation one year. We, we went to Colorado for a couple of weeks, and when we returned to our house after that vacation, I remember the first time I went into the bathroom and turned on the water, the water came out a little bit cloudy, a, a little bit dirty, and I had to let the, the water run for a bit for things to clear up. So with a passage like this, things might seem a little bit cloudy, a little bit unclear, And the desire may be to to skip over these things and to not deal with it. But instead of doing that, let's leave the tap running for a little bit. And hopefully, as we discuss things, things will get a little bit clearer for us. 
So as the passage begins, we immediately see this great tragedy unfolding. Verse 27 tells us, even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. But then John points to words from the prophet Isaiah from both Isaiah 53 and Isaiah chapter 6. Now, if we were to just read these words right in the con- right, right here without looking at them in the greater context of the book of Isaiah and without looking at them in the greater context of the gospel, right, one might ask, did God remove their choice to believe? If God hardened their hearts, were they forced into their unbelief by God? And I would say the answer to both of those questions is no. But, but to understand it more clearly, let's first go back to Isaiah 53. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3. says, Who has believed what, he, what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. So there are a couple of things for us to understand from Isaiah's text. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. And and as we look at the description of the coming Messiah, he was not impressive in appearance. He, He was not someone that was desirable to look at. He was he was gonna be despised, he was gonna be rejected, and he would suffer. Now, while this prophecy is about the coming Messiah, this wasn't the Messiah that the Jews wanted. This wasn't the image of the Messiah that they had in mind at all. So this may not be the best illustration, but I think it's going to help make the point this morning. Who else in here remembers uh, those old movies, Superman with Christopher Reeves? Yeah, so... I remember watching those movies when I was uh, a young child, and and Superman quickly became my favorite superhero at the time. But even as a child, something didn't add up to me. Superman's secret identity as Clark Kent just did not seem believable. How could anybody look at Clark Kent and not realize that he was Superman? Yet when they thought of this great caped superhero, and as they looked at this shy reporter with glasses, Clark Kent wasn't who they had in mind for a superhero at all. They pictured someone strong and great. Clark Kent was weak and clumsy, and so they just couldn't see him for who he really was. Now, I want to be careful with this illustration because I, I don't want to make the mistake of bringing Jesus down to the level of a fictional superhero. Je- Jesus' glory and greatness far outweighs that of a superhero created by the minds of men. But, but I do think that, that it serves as a great picture for us to help us understand the blindness of the Israelites. God had provided for them a Messiah 
that was completely opposite of the type of Messiah that they were looking for, of the type of Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a kingly warrior that would come in riding on a horse, yet Jesus came in riding on a donkey. They wanted someone who would stand up to those who came against him, someone that could not be killed. And yet, just last week, we saw Jesus, Jesus tell them that he was going to be lifted up, pointing to the type of death that he would experience, that he was going to be crucified. This suffering servant was a far cry from the image of the Messiah that they had created for themselves And so, by God sending them a Messiah that did not fit the mold of the Messiah that they were looking for, when when given the opportunity to believe, when seeing all of the miracles that he performed, they still just couldn't see it. They were blind to seeing him for who he really was. And so, ultimately, because he didn't fit their mold, they chose not to believe in him. So now that we understand Isaiah 53 a little bit more clearly, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. It says, And he replied, Go say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. So in this chapter, we see God calling Isaiah but, but Isaiah's mission was not going to be an easy one. When, when we think about being called to ministry, we, we certainly want to see people turning from their sins to be saved. When, when I think about when I was first called to, to ministry, my desire was not to preach to unrepentant people. As a young man feeling this call from God, my desire was to see people turn from their sins, coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But this wasn't the call that Isaiah received here. Isaiah was called to go to preach to people in rebellion, and his message was a message of judgment to those who had rebelled against God. Because understand, when God's word is spoken, it is judgment to those who refuse to believe it, to to those who, who choose to receive it. It is salvation, but to those who choose to reject it, for those who refuse to receive it and they refuse to believe it, it is judgment upon them. So let me use this as as an illustration. I I know a, a Christian woman who was once married to an unbelieving man. And her desire was that he would come to believe, that that he would give his life to Christ. Now, he refused to read the Bible with her, but he agreed to let her read the Bible out loud in the mornings while he was getting ready for work. Until one day, he said, please stop reading to me. What you are reading simply makes me feel guilty. Now, later on, it was revealed that her husband had a hidden sin in his life. And his own sin and his own rebellion had hardened his heart towards the truth of God's word. And so when he heard the truth being spoken to him, in his own rebellion, 
in his, home, in his own hardness of heart, the truth strengthened the hardening. Origen of Alexandria was an early Christian theologian living from 184 A.D. to 253 A.D., and he used this illustration. He said, the same sun both melts wax and hardens clay. The same sun both melts wax and hardens clay. The truth of God's word has the power to soften the heart of those who are willing to submit to its truth. But to those who are unwilling, to those who choose rebellion over submission, to them the gospel and its truth simply strengthens the hardening this is the picture that we have here with Isaiah and with the people of Israel. The people are so rebellious and so sinful that when Isaiah goes to preach to them, they continue to not understand. They continue to refuse to hear and to be deaf to the truth. They continue to refuse to see and to be blind to the truth that was spoken to them. And so we come back to those questions that we ask did God remove their choice to believe? Were they forced into their unbelief? And again, I would say the answer is no. The people of Israel were so determined to only receive the type of Messiah that they had created for themselves that they were blind to the one true Messiah. And their hearts were already so hardened by their own sin and their own rebellion to God that when Jesus came bringing truth to them, the very truth that could save them, that truth strengthened the hardening. They had a choice, but they chose to reject Jesus as their Lord, and God turned them over to their blindness, and the hardness of their heart was strengthened. So let me pause right here and say this to you today. Just as they had a choice when faced with Jesus, we also have a choice when faced with Jesus. We can either see him for who he is and receive him as our Messiah, or we can refuse him. We can choose to continue in our rebellion, and we can allow for our hearts to become even more hardened towards him. But here's my prayer for you today. That as you hear God's word, the same tragedy will not befall you, but that you would be willing to turn from your sins, that you would be willing to turn from your rebellion, and that you would be willing to receive Jesus as Messiah, to receive Jesus as Lord. So now that things are a little bit clearer for us, let me give you a little nugget of truth for you to take away from this first section today. It's a simple truth. God has a plan. God has a plan. We may not always understand the plan, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. In fact, God wasn't surprised by Israel's unbelief. If, if he were, Isaiah would not have prophesied about it centuries earlier. No, God knew that when he sent his son into the world, Jesus wouldn't be what the people expected, and he knew that Jesus would be despised and rejected. God knew, and God had a plan. And so knowing that Israel would reject Jesus as the Messiah, God used their unbelief, God used their blindness, God used their hardness of heart to accomplish his purpose in sending his only son, Jesus, to the cross to die for your sins and for mine. And I want you to hear this. 
Just as God had a plan to use Israel's unbelief to accomplish his purpose in Jesus, God has a plan for your life as well. And I firmly believe that while things might surprise us in this life, God is not surprised by anything. God is not caught off guard by anything that you might be going through. God's not even caught off guard by the sins of mankind. And so we're given this this message of hope for those who love him, for those who believe in him. In Romans 8, 28, we're told, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Hear me today, whatever you might be going through, regardless of how difficult it might be, I want you to understand something. Even if you can't see it right now, and even if you never see it in this lifetime, God has a plan. Even the greatest of tragedies can be used by God to accomplish his plans and his purposes for those that love him. And we see this no more clearly than we do in this passage as we see God use the tragic unbelief of the Israelites to send Jesus to the cross to accomplish his greatest work of all, salvation for mankind. Yes, Jesus was despised and rejected, but it is because they despised him and it is because they rejected him that Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. God has a plan. But now as we continue to think about this this world's greatest tragedy, the tragedy of unbelief, let's spend the next few moments looking at Jesus' words in the second section of our passage this morning. And there are three things that I want to highlight for you today. First, unbelief in Jesus is ultimately rejection of the Father. Unbelief in Jesus is ultimately rejection of the Father. What did Jesus say in verses 44 and 45? He said, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. Now, this is important in light of Jesus' audience. Jesus was speaking to the Israelites. Jesus was speaking to the religious people. Jesus was speaking to those who prided themselves on on worshiping God and walking in strict obedience to the law. If they were asked if they knew the one true God and if they worshiped the one true God, the answer to that question would undoubtedly be yes. But what Jesus is telling them is that by rejecting him, they are rejecting the very God they claim to worship. They aren't simply rejecting him, they are rejecting the Father. They are rejecting the the God that, that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. They are rejecting the God that brought their ancestors up out of Egypt. They are rejecting the God that that led led their ancestors by day in the wilderness by a cloud and by night as a pillar of fire. Because of their unbelief in Jesus, ultimately, they are rejecting the Father. So hear me this morning. You cannot know the Father apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot truly worship the Father apart from Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you consider yourself to be spiritual and you just connect with God on your own. Listen, you cannot know the Father apart from Jesus Christ. Maybe you attend church regularly and you stand with us as we sing and you open your Bible and you read the scriptures with us. But unless you have surrendered your your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you do not know the Father. You do not personally know the one you claim to worship because you cannot know the Father apart from Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, then I would plead with you this morning, do not leave this place in your unbelief. Don't leave this place rejecting not only Jesus, but rejecting the very God you claim to worship. So unbelief in Jesus is ultimately rejection of the Father. Second, unbelief in Jesus results in a lifetime of darkness. Unbelief in Jesus results in a lifetime of darkness. Let's look at verse 46 again. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So late last year, Sarah, the kids and I, we drove up to Tulsa to, to be with her family, and, and we left later in the day, and so most of our driving took place after the sun had gone down. Now, I don't typically like to drive that late in the evenings because, quite honestly, I don't like driving in the darkness. And I was reminded of this as we were driving because most of the roads that we were driving on didn't have any lights on the road. And so I had to pay extra careful attention to make sure that I didn't miss a curve and drive off the road. Listen, apart from Christ, you aren't simply driving in darkness. You are living in darkness. And the darkness is far worse than simply just a stretch of road without lights. It's it's like driving on a road without lights and without your headlights on and with your eyes closed. Total darkness. Now, now, no one in here would even attempt that because you know that you would be on the path to total disaster. And yet, when we reject Jesus, when we choose to remain in our own belief, that is exactly what we are doing. We are living a life in total darkness on the path to total disaster. But Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Now, if you remember, this isn't the first time that Jesus made the claim that he is the light of the world. Jesus made this claim back in John chapter eight at the Feast of Tabernacles or at the Festival of Lights. And this was a challenging claim for them to hear because as Jesus claimed that he was the light of the world, he he implied that he was God's presence with us. His claim that he was the light of the world implied that he was God's salvation for us, and his claim that he was the light of the world implied that he was God's revelation to us. And so, in the midst of their unbelief right here, Jesus doesn't let up on his claim simply to make himself more palatable for them. Instead, Jesus doubles down on his claims and tells him, look, if you reject me, If you refuse to believe in me, you are going to live in darkness. So let me pause right here and give you this reminder. We live in a world that is filled with unbelief, 
Understand, our job is not to water down the truth to make it more palatable for unbelievers. Our job is to stand on the truth, to live out the truth, and to proclaim the truth. Will will some hear the truth and reject it? Yes, but some, some will believe, and I would much rather people believe in the true Jesus of Scripture than a phony Jesus that I've created that is more acceptable to man's sinful heart, yet doesn't have the power to save them. While this is a challenging claim, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So unbelief in Jesus is ultimately rejection of the Father. Unbelief in Jesus is, it, it results in a lifetime of darkness. Finally this morning, unbelief in Jesus renders a guilty verdict. Unbelief in Jesus renders a guilty verdict. Now, Jesus reminds the Israelites, and we are reminded as well, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through himself. But what he does say in verse 48 is this, the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus' purpose in coming wasn't for judgment, but for salvation, because Jesus knew that apart from him, mankind stands in judgment already. Apart from Christ, mankind is guilty already. Now, as I said last week, our judgment was poured out onto Jesus as he hung there on the cross. And if we will believe in him, if we will turn to him, if we will confess him as Lord, we will no longer stand condemned. We will no longer stand in judgment. We will be set free from this guilty verdict because in Jesus we receive salvation, but apart from him, even if we escape judgment in this life, Jesus said, you are going to stand in judgment on the last day, and oh, what a great tragedy that will be, but for you, it is a tragedy that doesn't have to happen. All it takes is one call. All you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus. Turn to him. Put your trust, put your faith, put your hope in in him and allow for him to become your savior and your Lord. And if you will make that call today, the tragedy of unbelief can be avoided and you will be saved. Now, before we close, let me bring you back to verses 42 and 43 because we're told that while some did not believe, many did believe. But because they valued the praise of men over the praise of God, even though they believed Jesus to be the Messiah, they refused to confess him and they remained in their guilt. I plead with you today, don't make that same mistake. Today, as you hear God's word, if you believe Jesus to be the Messiah, if you believe him to be the Lord... Don't walk away today doing nothing with him. Don't walk away refusing to confess him. Unbelief is such a great tragedy. But for you today, it's a tragedy that can be avoided. All it takes is one call.